Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. The 2021 MLB season is here, and although the seats may not be full, your bankroll has the chance to be. Greg Hoops Peterson has you covered for every game, every day this season, along with comprehensive analysis and angles for getting to the window while celebrating the walk-off winners and blown saves of what will be a wild season. Now it is time for the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson. Hello, my fellow people. Welcome to Lucky Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. We've got a terrific show for you. It's in the second segment. We are going to be joined by one of our good friends, Matt Polly. Does pre and post game work for 620 WDMJ with the Milwaukee Brewers. Along with that, you're able to hear him on Sports Map Radio. He does UW Green Bay women's college basketball play by play work. The man literally stays up for about 23 hours and 59 minutes out of a day. So he does an absolutely terrific job there. We're going to be talking about the Milwaukee Bears. We're going to be talking about the NL Central picture and the possibility that perhaps the best three teams in the National League are out there in the Western Division. So we're going to have a great chat there. Then in the final segment, going to give you guys a signing total on every game on the betting board for this wonderful Wednesday. And a little something I like to call Touch Them All. First things first, always love to be able to answer Twitter questions on this podcast. If you got one of two ways, we'll fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at GUnit underscore 81. Keep in mind the letters EM. They mean does not matter. The other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to send your questions, comments, segment ideas, what have you. Did not wind up getting in any Twitter questions today, but we did wind up having a great day of baseball on Tuesday. So let's take a look back at it, try to find some trends, and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. What happened yesterday? Let's go around the bases and find out. Well, I'll tell you something we already knew. 
The Philadelphia Phillies bullpen sucks. They wind up losing to the Atlanta Braves by kind of 9-5 to for Aaron Supernola. He wasn't so super in this one. Gives up four runs over the course of five innings, including a pair of home runs. Connor Brogdon would come out of the bullpen. He would give up three runs, two of which were earned, including a home run in a third of an inning going deep for the Atlanta Braves. Austin Riley off of Brogdon, his 11th of the season. And then Ronald Acuna Jr. gets his 18th off of Nola. And you have William Contreras get his 6th of the season off of Nola as well. But for the Philadelphia Phillies, they were leading by a count of 5-4 to four going into the top of the 8th. And then the Braves put up a five spot. Brogdon had a lot to do with it. Sam Coonrod gives up two unearned runs now. In his defense, he was hurt by an error, but the error was caused by, guess what? Sam Coonrod. I have no idea why unearned runs that are forced by a pitcher do not wind up going on their ERA. That is just one of those things that always drives me nuts. If you're the guy that winds up committing the error, should be on your ledger. That's just me, though. Archie Bradley, Jose Alvarado both give you a scoreless setting along. David Hale as well, but for the Atlanta Braves, Drew Smiley, well, he wasn't smiling about the results of his start. Three runs, two of which weren't given up in four and a third innings. Actually, not overly terrible for him with the Atlanta Braves. Bullpen has been a little bit dicey this year. Shane Green, he has just gotten off the injured list, and it's not going well for him. Gave up two runs in a third of an inning, so he now has a 54 ERA. Edgar Santana, though, was able to give you a pair of outs along Tyler Mazik, and then Sean Newcomb, A.J. Minter, Will Smith. They all give you scoreless innings, and for the Philadelphia Phillies, this is a bunch that they were able to pound out 11 hits, pair of home runs. J.T. Riumito is sixth of the season off of Shane Green, and then Drew Smiley serves one up to Bryce Harper, his eighth of the season. And if you're wondering what the home run count is at for Drew Smiley right now, well, a congratulations to him on giving up 15 so far this year, and yet the Atlanta Braves are able to get the win, staying out there in the NL East. How about the New York Metropolitans losing to the Baltimore Orioles by a count of 10-3? That's just not good. David Peterson, he might not be getting too many starts moving forward. Two and two-thirds innings, he gives up four runs, all of which were earned. Robbie Gazelman nearly matched that. Two and a third innings, he gives up four runs, all of which were earned. And then from there, Drew Smith gives up a run in two innings. Jacob Barnes, he gives up a run in an inning as well. And for the Baltimore Orioles, all of a sudden, this offense has really gotten going. Five plus runs in all but one game so far this month. They were able to get a pair of home runs in this one. Anthony Santander goes deep off of Smith for his fourth home run season. And Mikel Franco is seventh home run of the season. Bruce Zimmerman with two ends on the back half of Zimmerman. He gives up two runs over the course of five innings, including a home run. And then Trey Lakin Sr. will come out of the bullpen. Give up a solo run in an inning. You wind up getting a scoreless setting out of Hunter Harvey. Not to be confused with Matt Harvey and Tyler Wells. It's able to give you two scoreless as well. For the Mets going deep, Pete Alonso twice. His eighth and ninth of the season. So they're glad to have him back. They would probably like to have back a starter not named David Peterson. No relation. The LA Dodgers, they were able to go on the road and get the job done against the Pittsburgh Pirates by a count of 5-3 to three for Walker Beeler. Seven scoreless innings. He was terrific. Now the bullpen... The Dodgers is not looking so great. Joe Kelly gives up a run in an inning. You wind up having Nate Jones give you two outs, but he gives up two solo home runs. Going deep for the Pittsburgh Pirates in this one. You have Michael Perez, his fourth of the season, then Brian Reynolds, his ninth. You also should have had one from Cabrian Hayes, but apparently you wound up missing a base on the way to hitting a home run. That was a very big, giant whatchamadoo. But with the LA Dodgers, you know what you're doing? Having Chris Taylor going deep off of Chris Stratton for his eighth home run of the season. For the Pirates, JT Brubaker, he was brewing up a bunch of runs. Gave up three over the course of four and two-thirds innings. Jason Shreve, he was able to get the team out of the fifth. Stratton gives up two runs in two innings, and then Dwayne Underwood, Jr gives up nothing over the course of his two innings before the Pittsburgh Pirates. Just has been very much a hodgepodge for the team. Meanwhile, for the LA Dodgers, 
Five plus runs scored in now 12 out of their last 15 games. Here's a streak that continues. The Colorado Rockies can't win a game on the road now. Four and 23 in road games. Six to the final for the Colorado Rockies. One of five with men in scoring position. They are hitting as a collective below the Mendoza line of 200 on the road. And Antonio Sensatella gave you six innings, but he gave up four runs in the process. You have Carlos Estevez come out of the bullpen. He gives up two runs in a third of an inning. Lucas Gilbreth had to finish out the seventh inning. And then Yancy Almonte lowers his ERA to a 12.46 with a scoreless inning. And for the Miami Marlins, how about one Pablo Lopez? Gives up two runs over the course of eight innings. Richard Blyer closes out the ninth. And for the Miami Marlins, 5-12 men in scoring position. And the Marte Parte of Starling Marte now hitting 341 with a 440 on base. That is what we like to see. We also like to see our New York Post play that they come through. And now 7-1 in my last eight. As the Houston Astros take it to the Boston Red Sox by a count of 7-1. Astros wind up getting up 6-0 on the top of the second inning and did not wind up looking back. Pair of home runs in this one. Carlos Correa with the shortest home run of the year at 310 feet. That winds up coming deep off of Martin Perez as 11th of the season. Then Jordan Alvarez gets his 8th of the season off of Matt Andreessen. Didn't do bad in long relief. He gives up that solo run over the course of three innings, but Martin Perez just gets absolutely destroyed. Six runs given up in two innings from their Brandon Workman, Phillips Valdez, both give you two scoreless innings. They had to evade a lot of danger to do so as the Red Sox wind up giving up a grand total of seven walks in this one, but they were still able to do the job. And for the Boston Red Sox, no clutch hitting in this one. Over 9 with men scoring position, Framber Valdez gives up one run over the course of seven and a third innings. Inoli Paredes gives you two outside of the bullpen and Blake. Taylor closes things out in the ninth for the Houston Astros. Now a team that scored at least four runs in, I believe, 19 out of their last 24 games. So they've been firing all cylinders. The Detroit Tigers are firing all cylinders when they wind up playing against the Seattle Mariners. Now 5-0 in the season series against the M's. 5-3 the final for the Seattle Mariners. 2-12 with men in scoring position, which makes sense because they're hitting as a collective about a 2-0-7 this year. And you take a look at one, Marco Gonzalez. He did not have a good start in this one. Gives up a home run. Four runs in total over the course of four innings. Going deep, Eric Koss, his eighth home run the season. And then from there, the bullpen of the Mariners, not necessarily too bad. Will Vest, a scoreless inning. Hector Santiago, two scoreless. And you wind up having one run given up in an inning by Yaxel Rios, but... For the Mariners, they just weren't able to get to Matthew Boyd in this one, who winds up giving up one unearned run over the course of six innings. Now, Joey Menes gives up two runs without recording it out, but Kyle Funkhauser, Daniel Norris, Jose Cicerno, all scoreless innings for the Detroit Tigers, who were able to overcome a Jonathan Scopair to be able to get the W in this one. Being able to get the W on Tuesday as well, that'd be the Milwaukee Brewers over the Cincinnati Reds. We'll be talking more about the NL Central and the Milwaukee Brewers with Matt Pauly, but 5-1 to one the final for the Brewers, obviously, Garcia, 12th home run of the season. That comes off of Sean Doolittle, who's doing very little for you as he winds up giving up that home run in an inning. You have Ryan Hendricks. He comes into the game. He gives up a run in an inning. Amir Garrett, he gives up a run in an inning, which sadly lowered his ERA to a 9.53. You wind up having two runs in two innings given up by Ashton Gadu, and you wind up having Brad Brock come in for a scoreless inning at Sonny Gray. He went three innings, didn't give up any runs, punched out five, left due to an injury, and for the Cincinnati Reds, they picked a time to really cool down on offense. They're averaging right around six runs per game at home, most out there in the big leagues, but they strained 10 men on base in this one. For the Milwaukee Brewers, Adrian Hauser did a good job of evading danger. One run, give it up in five and a third innings, and then from there, you wind up having Holby Milner give you a scoreless inning, Devin Williams, Ray Boxberger also do so on Brent Suter, pair of outs for them. So, the Milwaukee Brewers seem to be getting things cooking. Another team that seems to be getting things cooking. 
that would be the Tampa Bay Rays. 3-1 to one the final in this one for the Tampa Bay Rays. If they don't have the best record out there in the big leagues, they certainly do in the American League as they are now 39-23. and 23. And that is indeed the second best win percentage out there in baseball. For the Washington Nationals, John Lester winds up not giving you a lot of length. Only gave up one solo home run over the course of three and two-thirds innings going deep for the Tampa Bay Rays in this one. Manuel Margot is sixth of the season, but for the Washington Nationals, just nothing doing once again for this team. Two of six with men in scoring position, but they weren't able to get the big hit. Wander, I swear this guy sucks. Guess what? He gets a loss. He gives up two runs and records one out. Sam Clay was able to give you a pair of routes out of the bullpen, and then you wind up having Palo Espeno give you a scoreless setting along Tanner Rainey, and you were able to get four outs out of Ryan Harper, but for the Tampa Bay Rays, Tyler Glasnow, he catches your strikeout prop. 11 punch-outs in seven innings, gives up one run in the process. J.P. Fire Eisen, Ryan Thompson, Diego Castillo, they combine for two scoreless innings in the race, overcome stranding 12 men on base to be able to get yet another W. Being able to get yet another W, the San Francisco Giants signed to four the final for the Giants. They were actually down in this game by a count of 4-2 going into the eighth inning. Four spot in the eighth, three spot in the ninth. Can we stop disrespecting this team, please? I mean, for the San Francisco Giants, Brandon Crawford goes deep not once but twice. 13th and 14th home runs of the season. And then Mike Talkman, he was talking about going deep, and he did so. He was able to get his third home run as a San Francisco Giant for the Texas Rangers. Jordan Lyles, not a bad start in this one. He gives up one of those home runs to Crawford, but two runs, one of which was earned, given up over the course of six innings. And then the Rangers bullpen. Boy, oh boy, was it not good. Julie Rodriguez and Taylor Hearn both give up three runs in an inning of work. Josh Shorbich, he gives up one run while recording two outs. You wind up having DeMarcus Evans come in and give you an out, but for the Texas Rangers, Rangers, Joey Gallo gets his 11th home run of the season. That comes off of Alex Wood, who didn't necessarily have his A-plus stuff in this one. Five and a third innings, he gives up four runs, all of which weren't. Seems like he's starting to regress, but the bullpen of the Giants able to do their job. Jose Alvarez, Jolin Garcia both give you a pair of outs. Squirrelless out of the bullpen. Matt Whistler was able to sew up an inning. And then Jacob McGee and Dominique Leon both give you a squirrelless inning. So the Giants had 38-22. and 22. They now have the best record out there in baseball. The New York Yankees go on the road, and they take it to former Yankee Michael Pineda by a count of 8-4. to four. For the Yankees, they needed a late rally in this one as well. They scored two runs in the eighth, three runs in the ninth to be able to get the job done. A pair of home runs from the bottom of the lineup, which is exactly what this team needed. Gary Sanchez, his seventh home run of the season, and Miguel Andujar was able to get his fourth. Those both come off of Griffin Jacks, who in his first career appearance gives up two home runs in an inning. Now, Rocket at 27 ERA for Michael Pineda. Wasn't a bad start, just not a lot of length. Two runs given up in four and a third innings from there. Ore Alcala gives you a scoreless inning along Luke Farrell, but Taylor Rogers, who has been one of the better bullpen pieces for the Minnesota Twins, gives up two runs in an inning. And then Alex Colome came in, got two outs, did not give up a run. You've got to consider that a victory if you're the Minnesota Twins. And for the New York Yankees, Jonathan Luizaga got the win as Jordan Montgomery in this one gives up three runs in five and two-thirds innings. Luizaga comes in for four outs. And then Wandy Peralta and Chad Green sew up the final two innings. You did wind up having Peralta give up a run, but even though the Yankees went two of 15 with men in scoring position, they do get the job done. The Chicago White Sox now 28-3 and in their last 31 games against a left-handed starting pitcher. 6-1 to one the final in this one for Robbie Ray. This wasn't his fault. He gives up one solo home run in six and a third innings, punches out 13. We were talking about this with our good buddy Andrew Cayley of Covers, 
The fact that this Blue Jays bullpen is just running out of steam. Trent Thornton gives up three runs and gets one out. Carl Edwards Jr. should be more like Carl's Jr. He gives up two runs in two-thirds of an inning. He's always open to giving up runs. And Rafael Dolis, he gave you a pair of outs out of the bullpen, but for the Blue Jays as well. 1 of 12 with men in scoring position. That's just unacceptable for the White Sox. You wind up having Andrew Vaughn get his fifth home run the season off of Robbie Ray, but everything else was small ball. For one, Carlos Rodan, not necessarily a lot of length, but gives up just one run over the course of five innings. Dodge a lot of bullets from there. Jose Ruiz, Evan Marshall, Garrett Crochet, Liam Hendricks. All give you a scoreless setting for the Chicago White Sox who were able to get the job done once again. And for the White Sox, this is a bunch that has given up more than four runs, I believe, just once in their last five games. So the pitching is starting to come along for the ride. For the St. Louis Cardinals, they need something to come along for the ride because this is a team that they have been scuffling as of late. They have now lost five straight games at home and they have lost six out of their seven this month. 10-1 to the final for the Cleveland Indians. Jose Ramirez was able to get his 14th home run this season. That was a three-run shot. And Shane Bieber fever. He didn't wind up catching a strikeout prop, only five, but still very solid. Gives up one run in the process. Brian Shaw, Emmanuel Clase, Nick Sandlin all give you scoreless innings. And for Carlos Martinez, another bad start. Gives up five runs in four innings, including that home run to Mr. Ramirez. You wind up having Junior Fernandez come in. You have been good as a long guy. As a short guy, not so much. Gives up four runs in an inning. You have Jake Woodford come in. He gives up a run in an inning. Daniel Ponce Leon, Seth Allege, Adam Miller all give you scoreless innings. But for the St. Louis Cardinals, six hits in this one. Not a lot doing for them. Nothing doing for the Kansas City Royals on Tuesday. They wind up losing to the LA Angels by a count of 8-1. to An Angels team that, by the way, entered into this one having played the over in 22 out of their first 32 home games this year. It's absolutely ridiculous. But the Kansas City Royals have only played 40% of their road games over the total. So it was a good old situation of something's got to give. And of course, this is a total that was 8.5. So this one winds up going over as well. For the Kansas City Royals, they wind up going 0-4 with men in scoring position. Chris with a K. Bubich gets completely destroyed. Gives up six runs in four innings, including not one, not two, not three, but four home runs. Josh Stamon will give up a home run on the bullpen a little bit later. And that Stamon home run comes off of Taylor Ward, his sixth of the season. Joey Otani gets his 17th home run of the season. Max Sassy is fourth. Jose Iglesias is fifth. Justin Upton is 14th for the Royals. You were able to get two scoreless innings out of Mr. Bolanos, Ronald Bolanos, and then Jake Brents was able to give you a scoreless inning as well, but for the Kansas City Royals, not good. And for the Angels, this is a bunch that they're starting to put things together. They have now given up fewer than five runs at home for back-to-back games. They had given up five plus in nine out of ten, but all of a sudden they've been able to win at home now four out of their last five games, so they're starting to string a little bit of something together. The Oakland A's are stringing something together as well. They take down the Arizona Diamondbacks by a count of five to two. Not a bad team to wind up stringing things together against. John Duplantier, not looking like a starter right now. A 10-0-3 ERA for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Gives up four runs over the course of three innings. From there, Alex Young, three innings of relief. Gives up one run. You wind up having Kevin Ginkle along with Ryan Bucher give you a scoreless inning. But for the Arizona Diamondbacks, need a little bit more offense in this one. Christian Walker gets his second home run of the season. Began the year on the injured list. He's had a little bit of an underachieving year. That comes off of Chris Bassett, who's very solid in this one. Gives up that home run, but two runs in total over the course of seven innings. Yasmeto Petit along with Lou Trevino both give you a scoreless inning. And for the Oakland A's, Three of six with men in scoring position and for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Man, the struggles just continue for this team. They have now lost six straight games and I believe that they are now, if I remember correctly, losers of 23 out of their last 26 games. 
I mean, it has just been a very unfortunate situation for them. Speaking of an unfortunate situation, that's exactly what the Slam Diego Padres wound up having on Tuesday as they wind up losing to the Chicago Cubs by a count of 7-1. For the Cubbies, Zach Davies, a tremendous start. The former Padre, six scoreless innings, gives up just one in the process. Andrew Chafin, along Tommy Nance, give you a scoreless inning. Alec Mills winds up giving up the runs late, but that was when the game was very much an end as the Cubs were able to get a trio of home runs. Patrick Wisdom, his eighth home run for the Chicago Cubs, and he's had 40 at-bats with the team. It is absolutely ridiculous. Anthony Rizzo, he's got six home runs this year. And Wilson Contreras, he was able to get his seventh home run of the season. For Contreras, he winds up going deep off into Nelson Lamette. His longest start of the year and his worst start of the year. He gives up four runs over the course of five innings. From there, Miguel Diaz gives up a run in an inning. Nisbel Krizmak gives up two runs in two innings. Austin Adams was able to give you a scoreless inning. But for the Padres, just not a lot doing for this team. They weren't able to generate much contact. Grand total of three hits. So that was a little bit rough, especially considering the Chicago Cubs. Vastly different home to road. This is a Cubs team that is currently 21-10 and 10 at home. Meanwhile, on the road, thanks to this W, they are now 13-17. and 17. So, you've got a whole lot of that going on, and you've got a whole lot of things going on in Major League Baseball in general, including a very good mix of overs and unders overall. But if you're taking a look at the last 30 days in Major League Baseball, unders have been able to do quite solidly. If you're taking a look over the last 30 days, unders 193 and 185. So, that's about a 51.1% clip. And in the last 30 days, favorites. 234 and 155, hitting at a little bit over a 60% clip. If you're looking at just the last seven days, favorites 54 and 30, so hitting at nearly a 65% clip. Overs and unders are at 41 and 41, so a dead even split there. And for the season, that makes overs and unders relatively even as of right now. You've right now got a tally of 433 overs and 433 unders and favorites. 506 and 383, now at a 56.9% clip for the season. So that's what we all noticed from Major League Baseball on Tuesday. Now let's turn the page forward to Wednesday. Let's take a look at the Milwaukee Brewers, the NL Central in general, with our good buddy Matt Paul. He does pre and post game work for the Milwaukee Brewers with their flagship station, 620 WTMJ. If you recognize the voice, it's probably because you've heard him doing it doing a sports update near you as well. We're going to be chatting with them next. Like you're on the Baseball Betting Podcast with myself, Craig Peterson. Greg is calling in a pinch hitter from the Overtime Network Hotline. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. Always great to be joined by this guest as this is a man that does a little bit of everything. If you're tuning into a radio station of choice, you might be hearing his updates as he does them for a wide variety of different places. He is an anchor and a host over there at Sports Map Radio. He is the pre- and post-game voice of the Milwaukee Brewers for 620 WTMJ and ESPN Milwaukee. He does play-by-play work for the UW-Green Bay Phoenix women's college basketball team. And occasionally he gets an hour of sleep, as it is Matt Pauly joining me on the podcast. You're able to follow him on Twitter, at Matt Pauly on air altogether. And Pauly is spelled P-A-U-L-E-Y. And Matt, great to have you aboard. Thank you so much for joining me. Hey, Greg. Thanks for having me. Always enjoy coming on your show. Always enjoy you joining me. And... First things first, with the Milwaukee Brewers, the pitching has been absolutely tremendous for this team. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Corbin Burns, Freddie Peralta, Brandon Woodruff, they might be the best starting trio out there in baseball, but 
it just feels like time and time again, the offense has let this team down a little bit. Now, I will say, ever since they wound up picking up Willie Adamas, they have been able to get going, though a lot of those games came against teams like the Arizona Diamondbacks and Detroit Tigers. But good news is the offense seems to be getting online a little bit. But with Colt Wong now being on the injured list, I do think that it might be a little bit tough for the Brewers because power numbers have actually been there for this team, just getting on base consistently seems to be an issue for them. Yeah, so they're in a period right now, you alluded to the competition, starting on May 28th and ending on June 28th. They're going through a period where they're playing nothing but teams below 500 as it sits right now. Cincinnati is the closest to 500. I think they're one under right now. So Cincinnati could potentially get above 500 at some point. But they've already played Washington. They swept them in a three-game series. They split a two-gamer against Detroit, and then they swept a four-game series against Arizona. And in this period, they still have two series left against Cincinnati, one against Pittsburgh, two against Colorado, and one against Arizona before they'll face off against a team that's actually above 500. The batting average tells the story, Greg, that they're, they're hitting 211 as a team. And it's really bad. It's second worst in Major League Baseball. It's the worst in the National League. And it's the worst in the National League by a lot. But the other thing you alluded to, and I think this actually matters more. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that having a bad batting average is okay because it's not. But we know that Major League Baseball right now, it's hard to sustain rallies. It's hard to put together a bunch of hits. And if you can hit home runs, that's the most efficient way to score runs. Now, if you go into a power drought, then all of a sudden you're not scoring any runs. And that can be a problem. And you want to find other ways to be able to win games. They are hitting home runs. I think it's 16 home runs in their last five games, 16 in the last six. That's where the numbers are at right now. They just tied a franchise record for most consecutive home games with multiple home runs. The weather is warming up in Milwaukee. When the weather warms up, when the roof is open, when the panels are open at American Family Field, the ball starts flying a little bit more. The Brewers are a 2-11 team at the end of the season. That probably means they had a really, really bad offensive year, but they don't have to be hitting 250 or 260 or something like that. If they can raise that just a little bit and continue to consistently hit home runs, the pitching is good enough for you to win a whole lot of games, and it might just be good enough for you to win enough games to win the division. Yeah, I agree with you. And with the Milwaukee Brewers as well, it's just been really tough to be able to find guys that consistently get on base. The on-base percentage of Christian Yelich has been very good as we're doing this right around at 385-ish, but three home runs in 85 at-bats is not what you're expecting out of Christian Yelich. Omir Narvaez has been terrific for this team, but he's been banged up all year long. Colt Wong, who I just alluded to a little bit earlier. He's been able to get on base, but he's been a little bit banged up. Willie Adamas has really been, in my opinion, the missing piece to be able to put things a little bit together. But as we know as well, this is a team that they thought they would be having a little bit more infield support. And with Kesson Hero now being sent to AAA, it really makes you wonder how the team is going to be able to piecemeal something together and who might be able to step up and be that surprise player out there in the lineup that is able to just sort of stem the tide and make some of those solo home runs to run shots. Yeah, the power of a two-run home run or the power of a three-run home run, that that means so much. A few things you said there I'll address. First off, Christian Yelich. I think he's coming around. Of his three home runs, two of them have been hit, I believe, in the last week. The other day, he did not barrel up a ball, and it still came off the bat at like 104, 105. He just barely missed a home run. To me, that was as good of an indication as any when he's got that kind of power on a ball that he's not barreling up. So it feels like, and it's felt this way before, so we'll have to wait and see, it feels like Yelich is starting to come around. They're not getting the production on the infield that they wanted. When Wong has been in there, he has been 
fantastic. He's been at the top of the order. He's been able to get on base. He's shown some power. He's done everything well. The problem is this is his second stint on the injured list with the exact same oblique issue. The first time, I think he was out 13 days. When it comes to obliques, 13 days, that's fine because that's one of those injuries that can kind of stick around. You got to kind of massage that as you come out of it, just in the sense that if you come back a little bit too early, you can aggravate it and be back at square one so easily. The indication this time is that he's going to be out longer. And with that, they're looking for production on the infield. Now, Willie Adamas has done so many things for this team. He's been solid at shortstop. His bat has done a a perfectly fine job. He's been one of the most consistent hitters. They've won a ton of games since he's gotten there, but just from a roster depth standpoint. So now that Adamas is around, you've got Luis Arias, who had been the starting shortstop and was going to go into kind of a utility role when Adamas got to Milwaukee. Well, now, at least for the time being, you can really use Arias at second base on an almost everyday basis, and he's been leading off as well. That's his natural position. He came up as a second baseman, so they are only able to use him at second base right now because of the Adamas trade. So the Adamas trade, what he does at shortstop, what he does in the lineup, the depth inside of the entire team where they're able to put some other pieces in some different places, the energy that he's bringing. This team needed energy, and he has absolutely brought that as well. He has really impacted the team in multiple ways. The problem remains the corner infield spots. They're getting very little production out of first and third base. Daniel Vogelback has been the best producer at first base, and we're talking about a guy who's hitting 210. He's got a few home runs, four home runs, 10 RBIs. I love his at-bats, Greg. I don't know if there is a quote-unquote power hitter who has as good of an eye at the plate as he does. It just seems like he goes to the plate and he's such a professional hitter about how he works, counts and everything, but that's not resulting in a lot of hits. And he's hitting 210 and then he's got an on-base percentage at 324. So the 324 on-base percentage isn't anything to write home about, but when you compare that 324 on-base to the 210 batting average, that clearly shows you that he's doing a nice job at the plate, being able to draw walks. But you need more than that at first base. Nobody has any idea when Keston here is going to be able to regain his form if he's going to. Travis Shaw had a great start to his season. He was among the National League leaders in RBIs for a really long time, but he's kind of cooled down a bit. He's hitting under 200 right now at 191. And where the Colton Wong injury, I just just told you how it creates depth because you're able to play Luis Arias over at second base. Well, if you have Colton Wong, third base becomes almost a platoon between Shaw and Urias, and that puts Shaw in better positions to be successful. Urias has been doing a nice job with the bat recently. So the Colton Wong injury doesn't only impact second base, it impacts third base as well. If there's one area that I think maybe they'll be looking to improve upon as we move towards the trade deadline, it's corner infield. And then the second thing would be a relief pitching. But that's a really long answer to what you just had to say. But there's a lot going on right now on the Brewers infield. There is a whole lot going on. And there's a lot going on in the National League Central as well as we do have Matt Pauly who does pre- and post-game work for the Milwaukee Brewers, joining me on the podcast. And as we're doing this podcast, it looks like the starters for Wednesday are going to be Brett Anderson for the Brewers. And then it looks like you're going to be getting Mr. Vladimir Gutierrez, who is going to be going for the Cincinnati Reds, which I find to be very fascinating because you've got a Reds team that the Brewers are facing right now that they lead the major leagues in runs per game whenever they are at home. They get six runs per game at home. On the road, they get more like four and We've noticed this with quite a few NL Central teams, and I'm looking at the Chicago Cubs very specifically, a team that's towards the top 
They just play vastly different home to road. And what I find to be very fascinating about the NL Central in general is that it just doesn't seem like there's really been that one team that's been able to put it together. For the St. Louis Cardinals, they're showing some of their deficiencies. For the Cubs, they look amazing at home. When they get on the road, they look very mortal. For the Milwaukee Brewers, the batting just is not there. Meanwhile, the starting pitching, it is absolutely magnificent. And for the Cincinnati Reds as well. This is a team that they're doing a great job of being able to put back to ball. Jesse Winker, a three-home run game a few days ago. A lot of guys getting on base. They just aren't pitching to save their lives as well. And I think that this whole NL Central is still a mess 60 games into the season. Do you think that's a surprise, Greg? I don't think that's a surprise. No, not at all. Okay. I I know you're talking to me, but I thought I'd throw that back at you because I think I probably talked about this with you even before the season got started. This is an incredibly flawed division. And before the season even got started, it felt like the Reds and the Cubs were in sell mode. It felt like the Cardinals and the Brewers were, they think they can be good and they're willing to make a, a small move here and a small move there if it makes sense financially, but it's not like they're going all in. You know, the Jackie Bradley Jr. move, and that hasn't worked yet for the Brewers because he hasn't been good, but the Bradley move is an example of that for the Cardinals getting Nolan Arenado, even though they got paid $50 million to get him. And we've seen the Brewers make the move, obviously, with Willie Adamas, but what are the Cubs going to do at the deadline? It felt like they were going to sell, and now all of a sudden they're sitting there, they've been in first place a lot, even with the flaws that you mentioned and the Reds do enough that they don't just have a complete fire sale and, you know, dish off Sonny Gray and dish off Mike Moustakis and dish off Eugenio Suarez and any other guy that might have some value at the trade deadline. All we heard about with the Reds was, you know, financially they couldn't handle things going into the year. And I think even with stadiums going back to full capacity and revenue sources starting to come up again, I think there's still a lot of fear from a lot of organizations just trying to recover from the financial impact of COVID-19. Greg, I'm at American Family Field for every Brewers game, and they've been at 50% capacity for a while. I think there's only maybe been two games where they've sold to 50%, and now they're going to be going to 100%, but they're not going to draw 100% that often. And that has nothing to do with the fan base. That has nothing to do with the team is doing. Anybody who's around sports knows that from a ticket sale standpoint, the lifeblood is off-season sales when you're getting the groups. You get the church youth groups. You get the Kiwanis clubs. You get all those people to have their big days where they're bringing out 50, 60, 70 people, and they do it on an annual basis. And none of those type of events were sold during the off-season. And now every team in Major League Baseball is trying to make that up as quick as they possibly can. But there's still going to be a lot of organizations that don't feel comfortable going and doing those type of things. So even with most teams going to 100% capacity in the relatively near future. And I know for sure the Brewers are. I know for sure the Cardinals are. I'm not 100% sure where the rest of the National League Central sits. But even with them going to 100%, they're not going to be drawn 100% capacity. So revenue is still going to be a little bit down this year. And I think that's just going to result in teams being very willing to make moves at the deadline to sell players off. And there's going to be some really tough decisions because this NL Central, it seems like every year... Like, whether the division is really, really good or whether the division is really, really average like it is this year. It just seems like there's always three or four teams. The top three teams, the top four teams are always really close to each other. 
And I just don't think there's a whole lot of difference right now between the Brewers, the Cardinals, the Cubs, and the Reds. I think the Brewers and Cardinals are the class of the division. I think the Cubs and the Reds are a couple steps back. But again, credit to the Cubs for what they've been able to do to this point of the year. And the Cardinals have so many injury issues and the pitching that they don't have right now. Who knows if they're going to be able to sustain and when they're going to get healthy, if they're going to get healthy this year. That's another really long answer, Greg. I'm sorry. I'm just talking here. But I said there's a lot going on in the Brewers infield. There's a lot going on in the NL Central. And it goes beyond just what's going on on the field. I think the off-field impact of the pandemic is going to continue to impact things. Oh, I'm right there with you. And then you just have to throw in there the human element of things. I think that there are still some people that they're having a tough time easing back into things, going back to their normal routines and everything like that. And there are some people that they were ready to get back to normal like 15 months ago. There are other people that they're still a little bit nervous to go out to their local bar. They're still a little bit nervous to go out to a place in which there's a lot of people there. So it is one of these things in which it is just one of those human elements that you have to take into account with everything. As we do have our good buddy, Matt Pauly, who does pre and post game work for the Milwaukee Brewers joining me on the podcast. And when you take a look at the National League picture in general, I do think that it's going to be really interesting to see what happens out there in the NL Central, but I just don't know if any of these teams are going to be able to vie for a wild card bid because I've been saying it on this podcast quite a bit. I think the three best teams in the National League might be out west. The San Francisco Giants, who right now lead the league with regards to win percentage. I don't think anyone saw that coming. You've also got the San Diego Padres and the LA Dodgers doing all that they're doing as well. I'm not sure where you wind up setting on the wild card pitcher, but I do think that we could wind up seeing both wild cards go to NL West teams. Yeah, that's possible. It happens every once in a while. It was a couple of years ago that three NL Central teams made it in in the current wild card format. If I remember correctly, I think that was the case. It doesn't happen very often. And it's a challenge for that to happen because you play so many games against your division when you've got a division like the National League West where you have three teams that are legit really good. I think you might be right. Those might be the three best teams in the National League. They're going to beat up each other when you're playing you know, almost 20 games against each of those opponents. So you've got 40 games basically between the other two teams. And if you're going to say go 500 in those games, which is what you would kind of expect it to be, or at least in the neighborhood of that, that's just under 20 losses extra that's being handed onto your record, where if any of those teams are playing in the central or any of those teams playing in the east, you might have a few more wins. I think the deepest division is the National League East, because I don't think they have a bad team in the division. I know the Marlins have a bad record at 25 and 34. The Nationals don't have a very good record either as those teams are far back. But just from an eye test perspective, I think in the National League East, you have five pretty good teams. In the National League West, you have three spectacular teams and two really bad teams. So that's the one thing that those three teams do have going for them. I just talked about those 40 games that you have against the good teams. Well, there's 40 or so games against those really bad teams as well. And you got to make your uh, your hay when you play those teams. If they beat up each other a little bit too much, then obviously you could have a situation where the Cardinals and the Brewers or the Brewers and the Cubs could make it. But going back to the National League East, the Mets have been a really nice surprise this year. And the Atlanta Braves are not a bad team. The Phillies are not a bad team. I think there's more good teams in the National League than the American League. I just look at the American League and I go, okay, you have the Rays, you have the White Sox. The Yankees should be a lot better than they're playing, but they're not. But you think about the teams that can make a run in the postseason, you have the Astros. But you can probably count on one hand the legit teams In the American League, I think there's a lot of pretty darn good teams in the National League. And when you take a look at the American League, you take a look at a team in the Seattle Mariners who wound up entering into Tuesday 
30 and 31 despite a negative 50 run differential and having five out of their nine consistent starters hitting below a buck 85. I don't think I have ever seen that before in my life. And something else I've never seen before in my life is a man as hardworking as Mr. Matt Polly. Guy does a little bit of everything. If you're tuning into a radio, you might be hearing his updates. He does some hosting slash anchoring for Sports Map Radio, pre and post game work with the Milwaukee Brewers. Does a ton when it comes to the women's basketball side of things with UW Green Bay. List goes on and on. Matt, love the good people at home. Know what you've all got going on on social media and elsewhere. And how people are able to just tune into you in general. Yeah, so on Twitter, I'm at Matt Pauly on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. Here during Brewer season, uh, we've got uh, the post-game show after about every game. Occasionally a weekday day game, we don't do the extended post-game show. But we're uh, there doing it on WTMJ. We podcast it out at WTMJ.com, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. You can just do a search for Brewers Extra Innings. And that's the big thing that I'm doing right now, as you mentioned. You hear me doing some things on Sports Map Radio, hear me on stations across the country, doing updates, things like that. But during the summer, my life is pretty dedicated and committed to what's going on in the world of baseball and matt doing an absolutely tremendous job of being able to balance it all so well and occasionally he gets an hour or two of sleep much like myself so always great to get matt on the podcast big thanks to him for joining me right here on the baseball Wedding podcast and coming up next this is that time of podcast i give you a sign total on every game on the wednesday mlb betting board as we touch them all Welcome back to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson as we're off to a quality start. And now it's time to walk it off in a grand fashion. And we're back here with Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. A big thanks to our good buddy Matt Pauly who does terrific pre and post game work for the Milwaukee Brewers for 620 WTMJ. And you might be hearing him do a radio update near you as the man keeps himself very busy. Always great to have those kinds of people aboard. So great to have him aboard. Now it is that time of the podcast. I give you sign total on every game on the betting board for this wonderful Wednesday as we touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Do note that any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at JarenScorty1. As per usual, going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order. This is where we go with the National League games first, then the American League games, and then any interleague games are going to be at the bottom of the second. We actually do have quite a few interleague games, so if you're noticing why it's not necessarily in time order, that is why I go in the same order with my spreadsheet, everything like that, to keep things nice, clean, and easy. And do note that we've got a couple games with undecided pitchers. So, we begin with 901-902 on the betting board. The Chicago Cubs at the road face-off against the Slam Diego Padres. You Darvish going to be going for the pods. Jake Arrieta's on the bump for the Cubs. Cubs are finding themselves as significant underdogs here. And we're between plus 170 and plus 177. Meanwhile, if you're looking at the pods, anywhere between minus 191 and minus $2.00. Total on this game is 8 with the over anywhere between minus 105 and minus 120. And the under is finding itself anywhere between even money and minus 115. Hugh Darvish, the former Cub, is going to be facing off against his former team for, I think it might be the first time. They might have had one other instance in which he wound up playing against the Cubs. But I would like to say this is his first time facing off against him ever since he got to San Diego. And for Darvish, he has been absolutely tremendous so far this year. 0.9 home runs, give it up per 9 innings. You take a look at what he's been able to do at home. I think he had one... Sort of shaky start at the beginning of the year, and ever since then, he's been able to lock it in. 
home ERA of a 220. He's giving up six home runs in 49 innings. He has been rock solid. His strike cut to walk rate right around at six and a half at home. Meanwhile, you take a look at Jake Arrieta. He's giving up the hard contact right around two home runs per nine innings. Five and six record, but a 526 ERA. You're either going to get great Jake Arrieta or you're going to get bad Jake Arrieta. And so far, he's given up at least three runs in each of his last four starts. Now, the bullpen behind him has actually been absolutely tremendous. You take a look at this Cubs bullpen over the last three days. They have a... ERA that's hovering right around a 125. Guys like Andrew Chafin, even Dylan Maples who wound up giving up a couple runs a few days ago, Tommy Nance, Ryan Tapera. They've all been great and Craig Kimbrell looks like the Craig Kimbrell of old and then you take a look at the Padres. This is a team that they're probably not going to look to their bullpen as much in this one, but they've used their bullpen for the most innings of any team out there in baseball and they've really held up. They've got one of the best bullpen ERAs out there in baseball, if not the best. Depends on when you're going to be here in this podcast, but Craig Stammen has been solid. I like what you're getting out of Mark Melanson. Miguel Diaz has come to the forefront as a guy that's able to give you multiple innings. Pierce Johnson, list goes on and on. And then when you take a look at the Padres and the way that they're able to match, it's pretty darn impressive what Fernando Tatis Jr. is doing. Hitting right around 285. On base is solid. He's getting a home run every nine or so at bats. You've got Jake Cronenworth. He's able to get on base along with Eric Cosmer. Both of these guys hitting between a 270 and a 280. Manny Machado's not necessarily hit the best so far this year, but he's starting to pick it up when it comes to his batting averages. He's hitting right around 240. Webster Rivera's, who has been seeing some spots at the catcher position. He's been able to give you a little bit of something. Drake's and profile, Tommy Pham. A pair of guys hitting right around 225, but they're able to get on base for the Chicago Cubs. This is a team that they're just vastly different home to road. At home so far this year, 21 and 10 going into yesterday on the road, 12 and 17. So that is something that I do take into account. But they are doing a good job of EO reach base, especially Chris Bryant, who's got north of a 400 on base on the road, 13 home runs. Wilson Contreras, he's been able to supply nine bombs for you. And Patrick Wisdom, seven home runs in his first 36 at bats. That's just absolutely insane. He has been very good for the team. Heck, even Sergio Alcantara at the shortstop spot. He's been filling in for Javi Bias a little bit. He's been able to give you a tad bit of something. So it makes it a little bit tricky in this spot. I certainly do think that the Padres do present some value here, especially on the run line. If you're taking a look at a run line price, they're right around even money. I'm seeing as good, if you're out there on the East Coast, as a plus 107 as well. So you're able to get a little bit of a plus price if you're willing to lay a run and a half with the San Diego Padres. When it comes to my run line and what I wound up setting this at, I was willing to lay up to a minus 105. So seeing even money, I'm going to wind up taking that on the money line. I made it a minus 182. So I would rather take the run line reduce to juice. And I set this total just a hair above 8. So we're going to be going with the over along with the pods. 903-904 on the betting board is the Atlanta Braves hitting the road face-off against the Philadelphia Phillies. Tucker Davidson is going to be going for the Bravos. Zach Eflin looks to not be Eflin awful for the Phillies, who find themselves as favorites here. Anywhere between minus 120 and minus 125. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Atlanta Braves, finding them anywhere between plus 105 and plus 113. Your total on this game is 9. With the 9, you're going to be finding the under anywhere between minus 120 and minus 105. The over, once again, anywhere between even money and minus 115. And for Tucker Davidson, he has seen a couple starts so far this year, and so far so good for him. I do think that in a little bit of a bigger sample size, it might wind up falling through for him a little bit. Ten and two-thirds innings thus far. The six walks does have me a little bit concerned. He's done a good job of being able to limit contact in general. 103 whip, he's given up six hits in that time as well. But then you take a look at Zach Eflin. Just so much better at home than he is on the road. 225 ERA in five home starts so far this year. He's allowing less than a home run per nine innings. One walk in 32 innings. That is pretty stinking good. Opponents are hitting 264 off of him, but he has been able to do a good 
good job of being able to have command. Meanwhile, you take a look at this Atlanta Braves team. They've just been a little bit of a hot mess because Marcel Azuna, he is out and, well, if he's guilty of what we think he is, he probably should not be coming back anytime soon, if ever. Ozzy Albee, so he has been able to do a solid job. 255 batting average. He's been starting to pick it up a little bit. Freddie Freeman, he's only hanging about at 230, but the on-base is more around like a 345-ish. He's been able to give you a double-digit amount of home runs around Acuna Jr. He's been able to supply the power for this team. He winds up hitting a home run yesterday to give him 18 for the season, and that was a long home run. You've been able to get a little bit of something out of young outfielder Abraham Almonte as well. He's been able to come in, give you a little bit of something, and Guillermo Redia has actually been able to do a solid job, and then you take a look at the Philadelphia Phillies. You've got a bunch of guys like Odubo Herrera, Reese Hoskins, even Bryce Harper, hitting in that pocket between a 260 and a 275 for Harper. On base has been very solid. Reese Hoskins has actually hit more homers on the road than he has at home. That's really the opposite of the Philadelphia Phillies because the Phillies so far this year have been a team that have really gotten the job done at home. On the road, it's been a little bit of a different story for the Phillies. This is a team that entered into yesterday 17 and 11 at home, 11 and 19 on the road. Meanwhile, the Phillies are facing a team in the Atlanta Braves that are pretty even Stevens home to road, but you take a look at this Braves team. Bullpen has not necessarily been too terrific so far this year. Was expecting a little bit more out of some of these guys like Will Smith. Tyler Madzik, A.J. Minter, now Luke Jackson, Chris Martin. These guys have been solid, and Shane Green is back off the injury list and for the Philadelphia Phillies. Well, they have been a little bit of a hot mess with the bullpen, to put it lightly. You've got a guy like a Connor Brogdon, who I don't have a lot of faith in. Archie Bradley has an ERA that's hovering right around 5. David Hale, well, he's been making it hail instead of making it rain. That means that you're throwing change at the club rather than dollar bills. You don't want to be cheap. He has been cheap for this Philadelphia Phillies team with his performance. Hector Neris, still a guy that I can't necessarily get around on, but with Tucker Davidson, I do think that regression is going to set in. I do think that this is going to be a Philadelphia Phillies team that is going to be able to put up a couple runs in this spot, but I do think that Eflin going to continue his good pitching at home as well, so I set this total at 8.5. We're going to be taking this total under, and with this spot, I want to say the Phillies is more around a minus 150 favorite, so we're going to be riding with them as well. 905-906 on the betting board. The Pittsburgh Pirates are going to be playing OC LA Dodgers. Tony Gonsolin is going to be going for the Dodgers. Tyler Anderson is going to be on the bump for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Pirates are finding themselves predictably as underdogs. Anywhere between plus 140 and plus 152. If you're tabling the Dodgers, that is anywhere between minus 158 and minus 175. Your total is anywhere between 9 and 9.5. Nine and on the 9.5, under is use of minus 115. The over is minus 105. On the 9, over is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. Under is anywhere between even a minus 105. For Gonsolin, it's going to be his first start of the year. So I think that this is going to be sort of a pseudo bullpen game. I remember when he was coming up with the Dodgers, they would typically have them go three-ish innings, and that's sort of the expectation here. If he winds going north of three innings, that would be probably a little bit of a win because you do have guys with starter experience out there in the bullpen. Jimmy Nelson has just come back. you got to figure that he's a candidate to be a lead a couple innings. David Price as well, so I think that this will be a little bit of a piecemeal performance here for the Dodgers, and for Gonsolin, he really did not have a good postseason whatsoever for the Dodgers, but over the last two regular seasons, he's actually done a very good job of being able to limit our contact. He gives up right around .65 home runs per nine innings. The walks per nine, right around 2.3 in the regular season, and then you take Take a look at Tyler Anderson. He wound up actually having a nice start to the year. Ever since that start to the year, it has really come crashing down. He has given up at least three runs at each out of his last four starts, and the three wound up coming up against the Miami Marlins, who are not necessarily too terrific. And for the Dodgers, this is a team that leads the league with regards to scoring along with the Houston Astros. Both of these teams right around 5.3, 5.4 runs per game. And you take a look at the entire lineup for the LA Dodgers. You've got power. You've got guys that are able to get on base. Heck, you take a look at the actual position players for the LA Dodgers. Gavin Lux along with Cody Bell 
Bellinger were the only two players yesterday with below a 330 on base. That is absolutely insane. Lux and Bellinger also the only two position players hitting below a 255. I mean, Mookie Betts, Justin Turner, Will Smith, all guys that are able to crank it out, all guys that are threats. And then you take a look at the Pittsburgh Buyers. You actually do have a couple guys who are doing a good job of getting on base at the top. You get back Colin Moran and Cabrian A's. Both of these guys, north of 350 on bases and Cabrian A's. Small sample size, but he's hitting a 360. I actually think he has some upside. And a Frazier, 400 on base along with Brian Reynolds. These guys have been solid, but then you get down to the bottom of the fold. Philip Evans, Gregory Polanco, Kevin Newman. You throw in there Michael Perez, Ben Gamble, a bunch of guys that have been a hot mess. The Todd father, Todd Frazier, was on the scene to begin the year. He's so bad that he's right now on the Olympic team for the U.S. And you take a look at the Pittsburgh Pirates. They had to go deep into their bullpen, which has been solid, but you had to use up Chris Stratton yesterday. Jason Shreve came out of the bullpen. I do like Sam Howard. I do like Richard Rodriguez. And the bullpen all in all has been relatively solid. But with the Pittsburgh Pirates, they're in the bottom five of pretty much every power number possible. I think that Gonsolin is going to come in. He's going to give a solid open. And then the Dodgers are really going to be able to pull away from there. I wound up saying this total at 8.8. I think that this is a little bit of an overreaction because I think that bookmakers are undervaluing Gonsolin. And I do think that they're looking too much at the postseason when he's facing off against the best competition at, rather than this Pittsburgh Pirates team, which has no power whatsoever. So we're going to be taking a look at that under. But with the Dodgers on the money line, I set them as a minus 174. If you're taking a look at a run line price, I'm seeing this right in the neighborhood of even money, seeing a lot of minus 105s as well with the Dodgers. Dodgers, I was willing to lay on the run line up to about a minus 113. So we're going to take the Dodgers on the run line, reduce the juice along with that under. 907-908 on the betting board. You've got the Milwaukee Brewers hitting the road face off against the Cincinnati Reds. Vladimir Gutierrez is going to be going for the Reds. Brad Anderson is going to be on the bump for the Brew Crew. Brew Crew are finding themselves as slight favorites here. Going to be getting them anywhere between minus 113 and minus 118. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Red Likes, you're going to be finding them as bad as a minus 103, as good as a plus 105, and your total on this game anywhere between 9 and 9.5. And on the 9, over is minus 120 on the juice, under is even. On the 9.5, flip it. Under is minus 120, and the over is even. And for Vladimir Gutierrez, he has come up, he's made a couple starts, and so far, so good, I will say this. He hasn't had a lot of familiarity pitching out there in Great American Ballpark, where the ball will just continue to fly and fly and fly. Meanwhile, he goes up against a guy in Brett Anderson, who is not a hard tosser, and all of a sudden, he's giving up a bunch of hard contact. For Brett Anderson, giving up nearly two home runs per nine innings, you take a look at what he's been able to do on the road so far this year. He's got a road ERA that is pretty similar to his home ERA. Right around a 4-6 on the road, 4-2 at home. The big thing with him, though, on the road, he's given up five home runs at 21 and two-thirds innings. That is not necessarily too terrific. You take a look at the Brewers. Devin Williams, Josh Hader, both of these guys are absolutely superb, but what are you able to get out of the bullpen pieces outside of that? Eric Yardley, someone that is able to give you a couple innings, but he's had a 7 ERA so far this year. Since coming back up, he's been a little bit better. Brad Boxberger, so far this year, has actually been good, but I still don't trust and Brad Boxberger. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Reds. You actually have a pair of guys in TJ Antone and Lucas Sims are able to fill innings and they both do a solid job, but Sean Doolittle is doing very little for you. Amir Garrett, a north of 9 ERA. We have not seen him in a week. I don't think we're going to be seeing him anytime soon, and they better not because he has been absolutely awful. Eth Embry, guy that I don't necessarily trust in either, but with the Reds, they're averaging six runs per game at home entering into yesterday. 
yesterday. That was the top mark out there in the big leagues. And you've got a bunch of guys that do a great job of getting on base. Jesse Winker, Nick Cassianos. A pair of guys hitting a 350 with north of 400 on bases. Eugenio Suarez has been able to hit only about a buck 60, but he's still pumping out 13 home runs so far this year. You've got the guys at the bottom that they aren't necessarily holding up their end of the bargain. Kyle Farmer, Shogo Akiyama, but you get back Joey Votto. Wound up having a little bit of a rough start to begin the year, but after a long sit on the injured list, I think that he's going to be able to pick it up. Jonathan India has actually hit pretty solidly at home, and then you've got a Brewers team that I was mentioning it with Matt Pauley. You're currently without Colton Wong. You've got a bunch of guys on this lineup that they're just not hitting worth their weight. Christian Yelich, you just expect a little bit more than like four home runs and a 240 batting average. Obviously, El Garcia has been able to supply you a double-digit amount of home runs. He got his 12th yesterday. He's hitting a 245. Omir Nervais is back there. He's huge 400 on base, but Quesadero was so bad that he got sent back down to AAA, and it's not due to injury. Travis Shaw is hitting below the Mendoza line 200. Jackie Bradley Jr. has been a hot mess. Whenever Manny Pina's out there, he's an automatic out. Luis Odias, he's hitting right around at 230. Daniel Vogelback is hitting at 215. It has not necessarily been good for this team. I actually give the Reds a slight nod because they have been so good at being able to generate runs at home, so I'm going to wind up taking the Cincinnati Reds in this spot. Also wind up setting the sort at 9.6. We're going to be going over along with the Reds. 909-910 on the betting board. The Colorado Rockies at the road to face off against the Miami Marlins. Good old undecided is going to be going for the Miami Marlins, so I currently have no numbers up on this game for you guys. Meanwhile, Austin Gomber is going to be going for the Colorado Rockies and for the Marlins. Got to figure that it's going to be some sort of a Johnny Holstaff sort of game. Maybe you wind up getting out there Ross Detweiler for a couple innings. Looks like they've got Braxton Garrett on the roster. I think that this is someone that wound up giving the team a couple starts last year, and he was not good when he wound up giving the team a couple starts a few years ago. So there is that. And with the Colorado Rockies, they entered into yesterday 4-22 on the road. So you've got a bunch of issues there. You've got Austin Gomber is going to be going for the Rockies, and he actually hasn't been too terrible. His command has been just absolutely wretched and on the road. 544 ERA, but I will say this for Mr. Gomber. He is someone that's able to get you some swings and misses on the road, just under 10 punch outs per nine innings. Opponents are only aiming a 209 off of him, but the problem is his walks per nine is well north of three, more like three and a half. And with this Colorado Rockies team entering into yesterday on the road, this was a team that was hitting below the Mendoza line of 200 in road games. You've got a guy in Ryan McMahon that in his 13 home runs, I think that 10 of them have come at home so far this year. With the Colorado Rockies as well. You have been able to get a little bit of something out of Charlie Blackman. He's actually been highly consistent home to road. Josh Fuentes is able to hit a 250 overall for the year, but on the road, hitting right around that Mendoza line of 200. Jonathan Daza has been able to give you a little bit of something, but Trevor Sorry being on the injured list certainly hurts them. And then you take a look at the Miami Marlins. They were able to dive deep into that Colorado Rockies bullpen because they were able to get to Antonio Senzatella, who winds up giving up four runs. So that means that Carlos Estevez, Lucas Gilbreth, they wind up having to get used up. And for the Miami Marlins, they were able to get a whole bunch of innings out of Mr. Pablo Lopez. So that means that their bullpen is actually going to be very well rested. Now with the Miami Marlins, you've got a couple guys that they need to pick it up. Adam Duvall, Izan Diaz, John Birdie. These guys are hitting below a 215, but Jazz Chisel and Macy's Aguiar. A pair of guys hitting right around a 270. Double-digit amount of homers, over 40 RBI for Aguiar. He's done a good job of being able to supply some power. You've got back the Marte Parte, Starling Marte. 560 slugging, 440 on base, 340 batting average. He has been tremendous. Corey Dickerson is able to give you a little bit of something. I take a look at the spot, and with the Colorado Rockies now being 4-23 on the road, I'm probably going to be making the Miami Marlins actually a relatively sizable favorite, even if it is someone like Ross Sattweiler. Now, if Braxton Garrett is pitching, I'm probably going to be setting the solar right around 9, which is like an 11 at a normal ballpark because 
out there in Miami. It is one of the more pitcher-friendly ballparks. And with Garrett, you can't think that if he does wind up getting the start in this one, that he's going to be going much more than two or three innings. Need to know a little bit more about the pitching rotation of the Miami Marlins in this one, but that's sort of where I'm leaning. Jack back in the morning, my Twitter feed at Jaren's 41, and we'll have that up to date. 9-11, 9-12 on the betting board. The Houston Astros hit the road face off against the Boston Red Sox. Nathan Neovaldi is going to be going for the Sox. Jake Odorizzi is on the bump for the Astros. Astros are finding themselves as underdogs here. You're going to be getting them anywhere between a plus 118 and a plus 125. Meanwhile, if you're looking at the Sox, going to be finding them anywhere between minus 130 and minus 141. Your total is 9.5 over and under. Anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115 for Nathan Neovaldi. He has done an absolutely superb job of being able to limit the hard contact, and that is much needed for the Boston Red Sox after they wound up getting off to an absolutely terrible start yesterday. He has given up two home runs at 66 and two-thirds innings. His walks per nine are right around two as well. So Nathan Eovaldi has done an absolutely tremendous job. Now, he's given up a little bit more contact than you'd like, and he's actually been worse at home so far this year. 447 home ERA, 242 road ERA, but still has been able to do a good job of holding down the fort. Meanwhile, for Jake Odorizzi, he had a nice start against the San Diego Padres, but... I mean, across his five starts, there's not a lot to be had. One of those starts went a third of an inning, so he didn't give up any runs there. Yep, stinking do, but in the games that went more than a third of an inning, he has completed more than four and a third in just one of them, and he's given up at least three runs in all but one of them. That was the one against the San Diego Padres, in which the team unfortunately lost 11-8 after he went five and a third innings and gave up one run. Now with it, Jake Odorizzi as well, he's giving up more than two home runs per nine innings. He's given up right around four walks per nine. Now Christian Javier has been coming out of the bullpen for the Astros in this spot. Javier is not as effective out of the bullpen as he is as a starter, but he's someone that I do like. You've also got quite a few bullpen pieces because Framer Valdez was able to do a very solid job for the Houston Astros yesterday and for the Boston Red Sox. They got absolutely nothing out of Martin Perez who was able to complete too strong and then well, they had to go to the bullpen from there but guys like Kazu Saro, Murak, Garrett Woodlock and company, they have been relatively solid. You take a look at the Boston Red Sox. They get back J.D. Martinez yesterday. That is big. He's Xander Bogarts both hitting above a 315. Both of these guys right around a 375 on base. We all know what you're able to get out of someone like a Rafael Devers, who's been able to give you a double-digit amount of homers. He's got a 340 on base, along with Christian Arroyo, who's been solid at the top. Hunter Renfro hitting at 260 is nice, along with Kevin Ploiecki, Christian Vasquez. So, you've been able to get some production there for the Houston Astros. They are dead last in the big leagues with regards to strikeouts per at-bat, which is a good thing. That means that they're not striking out at the plate. You've got Jordan Alvarez, Jose Altuve, Carlos Correa, Alex Bregman, Yoli Gurriel, Michael Brantley all hitting at least a 285 for this team. Really, everyone other than Alvarez has north of a 360 on base as well. Brantley hasn't necessarily gotten on base as well, but then you've got Kyle Tucker as well. Double-digit amount of homers. His batting average is now up to a 260. Miles Strott, the bottom of the fold, seems to be figuring it out as well. And I take a look at this spot, and I do think that for the Boston Red Sox, they're going to get a tremendous start out of Nathan Eovaldi. I did wind up saying this total at 8.8, so we're going to be taking a look at the under. Want to lay up to a minus 142 in this spot for the Red Sox. I do think that they're going to be able to regroup because I just have absolutely no faith in Jake Odorizzi in this spot. So we're going to be going under and I'm going to be going with the Boston Red Sox in this spot. 9-13, 9-14 on the bang board. This is a New York Post play today as we've got the Seattle Mariners hitting the road to face off against the Detroit Tigers. Casey Mize is going to be going for the Tigres. Our good friend Chris Flexen is going to be going for the Seattle Mariners. Flexen and the Mariners find themselves anywhere between plus 105 and plus 112 underdogs. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Tigres, they're finding them anywhere between minus 119 and minus 132. Your total on this game is 8.5. Over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. Under is anywhere between even and minus 110. And the New York Post play of the day, as we look to make it 8 out of 9, so we've actually been out with these. We're going to be going with the over with Chris Flexen. 
He's generating five and a half punch shots per nine innings, and he has a north of eight ERA on the road. Now, I do recognize that you've got a pair of offenses that have been a hot mess, to say the least. He is Seattle Mariners enter into the series with the league's worst batting average, and you've got a Detroit Tigers team that, well, the power numbers have not necessarily been there, but the good news is Jonathan Scope along with Eric Haas have actually gotten a little bit out for this team. With Scope along with Haas, these two guys have a combined 17 home runs. A lot of them have come recently. Miguel Cabrera is now hitting above the Mendoza line of 200, so that is helping you out. The Detroit Tigers starting to draw a couple more walks. Robbie Grossman, 350 on base. Scope has right around a 310 on base. Eric Haas right around a 340 on base, and you've got a Kiel Badu, who's been able to give you a little bit of something as well. 240 batting average, not necessarily a lot of power, but he's been effective for this team. You take a look at the Detroit Tigers, they are in the bottom five of the big leagues with regards to bullpen ERA for the season, and for the Seattle Mariners, right around a six bullpen ERA over the last three days. That has been the worst out there in baseball, and they are badly banged up with the bullpen. Kendall Graveman, who they were relying upon so much, he is injured. Ever since Will Vest got off the injured list, he went from being very good to absolutely awful. You take a look at Rafael Montero, someone with right around a 4.8 ERA. Anthony Machevich, congratulations on having an ERA that's hovering right around 5. And then you take a look at Chris Flexen himself. I have absolutely no faith in him whatsoever. And for Casey Mize, he's actually been able to do a relatively solid job here for the Detroit Tigers. But with that said, you take a look at his ERA hovering right around a 3.3. The fielding independent is more around a 5. And this is someone that has actually been really good on the road and not so good at home. For Casey Mize, 2.80 road. ERA in seven starts. He has been able to limit opponents hitting a buck 85 at home. In four starts, he's given up right around 1.8-ish home runs per nine innings. His walks per nine is a little bit above three. Opponents are hitting 270 off of him, 458 ERA. So that is something that really jumps out to me. And for the Seattle Mariners, even though you don't have a bunch of guys that necessarily hit for contact, as you take a look at what they wound up trotting out there yesterday, you wound up actually having quite a few guys at the very least hitting at the Mendoza line, which is actually an improvement for them, but Tom Murphy, Taylor Trammell, Jack Mayfield, all guys hitting below a buck 80 for this team. Jared Kelnick getting sent down to the minors actually helps this team out. Ty France is hitting at 250. Mitch Haniger, double-digit amount of homers. He's hitting well above a 250. He's been able to give you something. J.P. Crawford at the top has been solid. Donovan Walton has been able to come around a little bit with the bat. Jorge Mamalois, we have not seen him for quite a while. I don't think we're going to be seeing him for quite a while as well. He's been a little bit of a hot mess, but I take a look in this spot. I do think that Casey Mize is going to be able to give you a relatively solid start. I'm just still not a believer in Chris Flexen, who just continues to give up contact after contact after contact. Set this hole at 9.8, so we are all aboard the over. And with setting the Tigers more around a minus 150 favorite, we're going to be going the Tigers' money line. And just a reminder, New York Post will day over in this spot. 9.15, 9.16 on the betting board. The Minnesota Twins are going to be taking on the New York Yankees. Garrett Cole goes for the Yanks. Meanwhile, Randy Dubnik going to be going for the home Minnesota Twins and the Twins at home, a relatively sizable underdog. Anywhere between plus 151 and plus 160. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Yankees, anywhere between minus 165, minus 177. Your total on this game is 8. With the 8, the under is anywhere between minus 105, minus 115. Ditto for the over and for Garrett Cole. He has been able to do a very solid job so far this year, but recently he has had a couple blow-up starts that I do think they are worth taking note of. 75 and two-thirds innings. 
He's only given up six home runs. His strikeouts per nine, a little bit under 13-ish, but he has been giving up a little bit of something. Five runs given up in two out of his last four starts. Those wind up coming against the Texas Rangers and the Tampa Bay Rays. Certainly not bad lineups, but at the same time, it's not like they're the masters of the East or anything like that. And you take a look at Garrett Cole in general, it certainly has been interesting to watch him, to say the least. In his road starts, he's made five of them overall. He's not given up a lot of hard contact. Two home runs given up in 32 innings. Opponents are earning a buck 98 off of him. He's actually been a little bit more solid on the road than he has been at home. And the good news for him is he's facing Randy Dominic, who has been absolutely terrible so far this year. How about a 6-1 ADRA? He has made seven long relief appearances and three starts, and he's either been awful or he's been really awful. At home so far this year, 6-75 ERA in 12 innings at home. He has given up right around a walk every four-ish innings. Opponents are hitting a 298 off of him. It has been absolutely terrible to watch him, and he's backed up by a bullpen that's not necessarily good. Cody Sashek has been a mess. Alex Colomay is someone that you should have absolutely no faith in whatsoever. And so Robles, Taylor Rogers, these guys are able to give you a little bit of something, but for the New York Yankees, this is a team with a top five bullpen. Aroldis Chapman is able to give you good innings. I like what you're getting out of guys like Lucas Lutiz, Jonathan Loisega, so I do like what you're able to get there. And then you take a look at the New York Yankees. This is a team that the bottom of the lineup really does need to pick it up for this team. You've got Kyle Gashioka, Gary Sanchez, Rudnett Odor, Brett Gardner, all guys hitting at 215 or lower. Chris Giddens you could throw in there as well. But you've got DJ LeMayu right around at 340 on base. Glaber Torres more around at 350. Giancarlo Stanton has been a little bit banged up, but it seems like he's getting right himself. You've got Aaron Judge, 400 on base, 14 home runs. And then for the Minnesota Twins, this is a bunch in which you do have quite a few guys hitting in that pocket between a 240 and a 255. Williams Estadio, Josh Donaldson, Kyle Garlick, Ore Palanco, Trevor Larnage, your guys of the future have really been able to step up. You've got Ryan Jeffers who's seeing some spots at the catcher spot. He's been able to give you a little bit of something he was able to supply multiple RBI yesterday. Miguel Sano has actually hit like nine home runs over the last three and a half weeks. Now the batting average is terrible. Buck 66, 270 on base, but he has been able to supply the boom, but I take a look in this spot. I do think that the Yankees should be a sizable favorite. If you're taking a look at the run line in this spot, Yankees are right now on the run line, right around minus 105 to minus 110, laying a run and half. That is something that I'm certainly willing to take. Also, what I'm saying this total at 7.8, so I'm going to be taking the under along with the Yankees, especially with this being a little bit more of a pitcher-friendly ballpark. 9-17, on the bang board. The Toronto, a.k.a. Buffalo Blue Jays, hit the road to face off against the Chicago White Sox. Lance Lynn is going to be going for the Sox. Alec Manoa is going to be going for the Blue Jays. Jays are finding themselves as underdogs here. You're going to be finding them as a not high enough price of anywhere between plus 125 and plus 132. Meanwhile, if you're looking at the White Sox, anywhere between minus 138 and minus 155. Turtles, anywhere between 8 and 8.5. On the 8.5, unders, anywhere between minus 105, minus 120. Overs, anywhere between even a minus 115. If you're looking at the 8, overs, anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. Unders, anywhere between even a minus 105. I have no idea why Alec Manoa is being priced like this. He is a solid player. He's going to have a nice MLB career. I set the White Sox as a $2 favorite here. I mean, Lance Lynn has been absolutely tremendous. I do recognize that Manoa has a great curveball. He looked tremendous down there at the minors, but I mean, this is just way too much respect for a guy in Manoa that has made now two career starts. He winds up giving up in one of those starts, four runs and three and a third innings to the Miami Marlins at home. I mean, come on. He gave up three home runs to the Miami Marlins. I recognize that this was in Buffalo, but jeez. I mean, what are we doing here? Meanwhile, you've got Lance Lynn, 7-1, buck 23 RA. He's given up right around 
nine-ish home runs per nine innings. He has had great command. He's given up right around two and a half walks per nine. Been there, done that, and he's backed up by a team that has been doing a very good job of being a reach base. With the White Sox, I think the biggest misconception about them is that they're hitting a whole bunch of homers. The White Sox have actually not been doing much of that. They just do a good job of being able to reach base. Yerman Mercedes, Yo Moncada, Nick Madrigal, Tim Anderson, all guys hitting between, I would say, about a 285 and a 305. Most of these guys have an on base that's hovering right around a 335 ish, other than Moncada. And then you've got Jose Abreu, who's been able to be one of the league leaders with regards to RBI. He's got 46 of them on the campaign, 11 home runs, 250 batting average. He has been rock solid. Yes, Manny Grandal is one of the more interesting cases that you're going to find, to say the least. He's got nine home runs. He's hitting right around a buck 60, and yet his on base is right around a 400. It's been absolutely insane. And then you take a look at the Toronto Blue Jays. Certainly, this is a good lineup. You've got Vlad Guerrero Jr. He is a 440 on base. He's been able to supply 18 home runs for this team. Teoscar Hernandez is hitting a 300. Marcus Simeon, double-digit amount of homers, 290 batting average, 360 on base. Boba Shett, he's able to give you a double-digit amount of bombs. He, Lords Guriel, hitting between a 260 and a 270, but with his Blue Jays team as well. Something that's hurting them injuries in the bullpen. We were talking about this with Andrew Cayley yesterday. AJ Cole currently on the injured list for this team. You're still without Julian Merriweather. Jordan Romano is able to give you some solid innings. I do like what you're able to get out of Anthony Castro. Carl Edwards Jr. It's a Jerry's out situation with him. He's got a north of 10 ERA, but a lot of that was with the Atlanta Braves. He just wasn't able to get quite right. I still have no faith in Tyler Chatwood by the way, but you then take a look at the Chicago White Sox after a little bit of a rough start to begin the year for that bullpen. I do like what you're able to get out of guys like Aaron Bummer. You've been able to get some very solid innings out of Liam Hendricks. You throw in there Jose Ruiz. list goes on and on. So I feel like the White Sox should be a relatively sizable favorite against a guy that is making his third career start. So we are going to be all aboard the White Sox in this spot. If you're taking a look at the run line, by the way, you're finding that White Sox run line as a plus 136, as I'm seeing it at Circa, mostly plus 135. That is very appealing to me. I'm going to lay the run in half. I'm going to take a plus price here. And with this total, I want up sending it at 7.8. I'm going to be taking it under along with the White Sox. You've got 919-920 on the bank board. The Kansas City Royals to throw it to face off against the LA Angels. Brad Thunderkeller is going to be going for the Royals. Goodafin Kenning is going to be on the bump for the Angels. Your total on this game is 9. Over and under, anywhere between minus 105, minus 115. Seeing Stray, minus 120 on the under, that'll make the over even if you're taking a look at the Angels. That is anywhere between minus 123 and minus 143, so seeing a big range there. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Royals, anywhere between plus 105 and plus 118. And for Keller, he has been a guy that throughout his career has struggled on the road, been able to do some very good work at home. So far this year, he has been a hot mess at home. On the road, he hasn't necessarily been great, but he hasn't necessarily been awful. Meanwhile, you dig a look at Griffin Canning. Consistency has always been a little bit of an issue for him. 4-4 four four record, but a 5.82 ERA and a gentleman that is giving up well over two home runs per nine innings. You take a look at it. He has given up five home runs over the course of his last four starts. Two of those starts, he didn't wind up making it past the fourth inning. So, it's not necessarily too terrific. Has good swing and miss stuff. Right around 10 and a half punch outs per nine innings. But man, you take a look at him at home. 6.52 ERA. 3-2 record, but opponents are hitting a 2.63 off of him. He has been just walking too many guys as well at home. A little bit over five walks per nine innings. Then you take a look at Brad Keller. Certainly not deserving of his 6-4 and four record with his 5.50 ERA, but... A 4-2 record on the road. You take a look at the hard contact that he's given up. Five home runs at 30 and two-thirds innings. Not necessarily too terrific, but he is getting right around nine punch-outs per nine innings. And then you take a look at this Kansas City Royals lineup. 
it certainly is coming together for this team. Whit Merrifield has been doing a solid job recently. He wound up being the first player since like 1980 to get a stolen base and a home run in the first inning of any sort of a game. He's been able to right around at 270 for this bunch. You've got Enzo Alberto hitting in that neighborhood as well. Kevin Gutierrez, Carlos Santana, along with Michael A. Taylor hitting in the pocket of between a 240 and a 250 and for Santana, right around a 380 on base. He's able to give you a little bit of power. Salvador Perez is hitting in right around a 275. He has been tremendous centered into yesterday. 14 home runs, 40 RBI. You've been able to get a little bit of something as well out of someone like an Edward Olivares. You do need a little bit more out of Hunter Dozier and Ori Solaire. Both of these guys hitting below a buck 80. And for Solaire, he had 48 home runs in 2019, five so far this year. And then you take a look at the Angels. You've certainly gotten your money's worth out of Shoei Otani. This is a guy hitting for 16 home runs, 42 RBI. Anthony Rendon, he needs to pick it up. He's hitting right around at 240. He had like three home runs and 90 at-bats going into this series. Now, Phil Gosselin hitting at 290. Max Assey hitting well above a 300. Jared Walsh has been solid. Double-digit amount of home runs. He's hitting in the pocket of about a 300. David Fletcher, Jose Iglesias. A pair of guys hitting between a 260 and a 270. So, I do like what you're getting there. But with the Angels, they're the only team out there in the American League with a team ERA above a 5, you just don't necessarily have great arms out there in the bullpen, to say the least. Rossiel Iglesias has actually been better recently. I still have no faith in him whatsoever. Junior Guerra has been a little bit of a hot mess as a long guy. Alex Claudio, Steve Ciszek. Not necessarily too terrific. Tony Watson, he's been giving up runs recently. And for the Kansas City Royals, this is a team that they were dealing with some injuries with the bullpen, and they still are. But getting back, Josh Stamout is big for this team. Kyle Zimmer has been able to give you some absolutely tremendous innings with right around a two-wish ERA, Jake Brent, Scott Barlow. I do like these guys as well. I do think that the Royals are a team that they're probably going to be at a little bit of a disadvantage when it comes to starting pitching. I just have never necessarily had a lot of fondness for Brad Keller, but also keep in mind that going into yesterday, for the Angels, 22 out of their 32 home games have gone over the total. That is by far the most out there in the American League. This is a spot in which I wound up setting this total at 8.8, so this is a spot in which I am actually going to be riding with the under because I do think that Canning is going to be able to put it together. I needed at least a plus 117 to take a shot on the Royals. Seeing that right around a plus 118, barely got there. So we're going to be going with the Royals along with this total under. By the way, the Royals, they played right around 40% of their road games over the total, so you've got clashing trends there. 921-922 on the bang board. The Texas Rangers are going to be playing OC San Francisco Giants. Sam Long is going to be going for the Giants. Meanwhile, Kyle Gibson is on the bump for the Rangers. Rangers, very slight favorites here. Anywhere between minus 107, minus 114. Meanwhile, if we're taking a look at the Giants, you're going to be finding them anywhere between even money, seeing a plus 101 out there as well, and as bad as a minus 105. Your total on this game is 8.5. With the 8.5, overs anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. Unders anywhere between even and minus 110. Going to be the first start for Sam Long, and it's not necessarily going to be an easy one because while you think that the Texas Rangers are really bad at pitching, and they are overall, they've got one very good starter in Kyle Gibson who has been absolutely lights out. His first start of the year winds up going up against the Kansas City Royals. He winds up getting completely lit up in that one, but Passetti has actually been very tremendous for this team. How about a 4-0 record with a 2-0-6 ERA and is giving up less than a half a home run per nine innings? He's at home, got a 0.57 ERA in five starts. Yeah, at home, opponents are hitting a buck 93 off of him. He has been absolutely supreme. And then you take a look at Sam Long and what he's been able to do for the San Francisco Giants so far this year. It is going to be very much a mystery, in my opinion, because with Long, this is someone that he didn't wind up spending a lot of time out 
out there in the minor leagues, and he is someone that is getting his first follow-up after spending some time out there at college at Sacramento State. You take a look at what he wanted doing this year, actually began his season at Double A Richmond. He went to Triple A Sacramento in five total starts, six total appearances at the minor league level, right around a two-ish ERA. So he was able to do a good job of holding down the fort. Has always been a strikeout master. 14 and a half strikeouts at two walks at the minor league level with 5.2 hits given up per nine innings. But you take a look at the numbers prior to this year out there at the minor league level. He was at single A Kannapolis during the 2019 season. Had right around a three-ish ERA and he was given up right around two and a half walks per nine innings. So I do think that this is a spot in which the Texas Rangers might wind up eating him whole with the Texas Rangers. You don't necessarily have a bunch of tremendous bats, but at the same time, they are still relatively solid. You've got a guy in Joey Gallo hitting barely above the Mendoza line of 200, but he's still got a non-base percentage. It's hovering right around 350. Got a bunch of guys hitting between a 230 and a 245 for this team. You're able to throw into that pocket Jose Trevino, Nate Lowe, Nick Solak, Charlie Culverson. And then you've been able to get a little bit of something out of Isaiah Kinnear Falefa hitting a 290, 325 on base for he and Willie Calhoun. And then you've got Adulius Garcia, who has been able to give the team 16 home runs. He's been stuck on that number for a while, but he's been solid. And then for the San Francisco Giants, Buster Posey. What more can be said about him? 333 batting average, getting a home run every like 10, 11 ish at bats. You then wind up having Brandon Crawford hitting a 265, gets his 13th home run of the season yesterday. Mauricio Dubon has honestly been terrific for the team, but he's able to give you a little bit of something along with a Lamonte Wade. Now, Alex Dickerson, along someone like a Mike Dockman, they need to pick it up a little bit, but I do think that the Giants are going to be able to generate a little bit of something in this spot. But I take a look at Kyle Gibson. He has been absolutely tremendous. You've got got a guy in Sam Long making his first start, and for the Texas Rangers, guys like John King along with Ian Kennedy have actually been decent out there in the bullpen. Taylor Hearn got off to a really bad start with the bullpen. He has been able to pick it up recently. Brett Guys is someone that I don't trust him, but I think that you're going to get a lot of innings out of Kyle Gibson, and for the San Francisco Giants, probably going to need to rely upon the bullpen quite a bit, which means that you're probably going to be looking to multiple innings from someone like a Nick Tropiano, for example. Jarlin Garcia has been better, but still not a guy that I necessarily have a ton of faith in. And I've been on this podcast talking about how undervalued the San Francisco Giants is. I don't get why Kyle Gibson is such a short favorite, especially at home. We're going to be riding with the Texas Rangers in this spot. Set this total barely above a 7.5, so we're going to be taking it under as well. We move on to 923, 924 on the betting board. A game that currently has no numbers because... We don't know who the Arizona Diamondbacks are going to be trotting out there as they hit the road to face off against the Oakland A's, who are going to be riding with Sean Manea. And for the Oakland A's, this is a team that they've actually got a worse ERA on the road than they do at home, which I find to be very fascinating because typically in Oakland, the ballpark plays very pitcher-friendly at night. At the daytime, it certainly is a little bit more hitter-friendly. And keep in mind that this is going to be a little bit of a day game, but I take a look at Sean Manea. The Oakland A's have been highly successful in his starts. They have won nine out of his last 11. I do feel like that sometimes can be a little bit contagious. And for the Oakland A's, this is a team that they're doing an absolutely terrific job of getting on base. Now, when it comes to the Arizona Diamondbacks, it's looking like they're probably going to be going with Matt Peacock. And if they do wind up going with Matt Peacock, I'd probably set them as about a plus 165-ish underdog. You take a look at Peacock. He's actually had some relatively solid starts. He has given up three earned runs or fewer in every one of them. He winds up giving up four runs against the Milwaukee Brewers, but he was hurt badly by his defense. He's also given up a grand total of four walks in those four starts. Ironically enough, all those came against the Milwaukee Brewers. So there's that aspect of it. And for Shamanea, has done a good job of being able to keep the ball in the yard right around a home run per nine innings, 16 walks across 69 and two-thirds innings. So he has been able to a pretty rock solid job there. 
And then you take a look at the bullpens, and there's really no comparison. The Arizona Diamondbacks, one of the worst bullpens out there in the league. They wind up having to use it quite a bit yesterday with John Duplantier getting the start for them. You've got guys like Kevin Ginko along with Joe Monopoly, who are just not giving you good innings. you got to figure that Riley Smith might be in for long relief if needed as well. Though I will say for the Arizona Diamondbacks, this is a team that they're getting some good production out of the lineup. You've got Carson Kelly back. He's got a 400 on base. Keep Marte of the Marte Parte. Right around a 375-ish batting average north of a 400 on base. You've been able to get a little bit of something out of Mr. Joshua Rojas, who's hitting right around a 260 for the team. David Peralta along with Eduardo Escobar. Hitting between a 240 and a 250. Escobar double-digit amount of home runs. Josh Reddick has been for the team, and then you take a look at the Oakland A's. Quite a few guys that just do a rock solid job of being able to get on base for this team as well. Matt Chapman, Sam Murphy, along with Mitch Moreland, all guys with not necessarily great batting averages, but all guys with north of 300 on bases, so they're able to keep the line moving. Jed Lowry, a guy with a 330 on base, 250 batting average. Marcana, he kind of give you right around a 380 on base, double digit amount of homers, and a 260 batting average at the top of the fold. Tony Kemp has been solved for this team as well. And then with the Oakland A's, I do recognize that Sergio Romo is terrible at the bullpen, but guys like Lou Trevino, J.B. Wendelkin, who's currently on the injured list, Diolius Carrera, these guys have been solved. Jake Diekman is able to give you something. Birch Smith has filled in very nicely for Wendelkin. And when you take a look at this spot, I am probably going to be making the Oakland A's as long as it is Mac Peacock. Right around, like I was saying, minus 165-ish favorite with this total. I'd probably be taking a look at an 8.5 or lower over the total. 9 or higher, I'd probably be taking a look at the under. But check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at Jaren's 41 cents. There is still a little bit of mystery with this. 9.25, 9.26 on the bang board. The New York Metropolitans hit the road to face off against the Baltimore Orioles. Matt Harvey is going to be facing his old team for the Orioles. Meanwhile, Taiwan Walker's on the bump for the Mets. Mets are finding themselves as sizable favorites here, and rightfully so. Anywhere between minus 145, minus 155 for the Orioles. You're going to be finding them anywhere between a plus 130 and a plus 137. Your total on this game is 9. With a 9, the over is anywhere between minus 105, minus 120. Under is anywhere between even and minus 115. I want to make in the Mets more like a minus 175 favorite. I have absolutely no faith whatsoever in Matt Harvey. Now, he wound up making a pseudo open for the team on three days rest, and he actually looked halfway decent in that one. I am putting absolutely no stock into it whatsoever. You take a look at Matt Harvey for the year. 662 ERA. His walks per nine is a little bit above three. Prior to that pseudo open, he had given up at least five runs in each out of his last four starts, all of which did not wind up going a full five innings, so... He seems to be washed up. Meanwhile, with Taiwan Walker, he has given up two home runs of 54 innings so far this year. Walks are a little bit high, right around four walks per nine innings, but you take a look at him, he has been able to do a very good job of being able to limit contact in general. Opponents are earning a buck 81 off of him, and he's going up against a Baltimore Orioles team that all of a sudden they've been able to find it with the offense. I have no idea how, and I have no idea why, but this is a bunch that they have not scored at least four runs in all but one of their games so far this month, so you got to give it up to them for having a little bit of a better performance, but I certainly do think that this hot streak might be drying up a little bit. You do have someone at the top in Cedric Mullins hitting right around at 325 with a nearly 400 on base. I've actually been very impressed by him. You've got some of the slugs at the bottom of the lineup. Mikel Franco, Pavleka, Ryan McKenna, Chancisco, Austin Wins, 
All guys are in a 215 or lower. C.V. Wilkerson has not done a lot for you either, but Anthony Santander, Trey Boom Boom Mancini, pair of guys hitting between a 270 and a 280, and with Mr. Boom Boom Mancini, how about him being able to give you right around 44 RBI and 11 home runs? He has been able to do a solid job. Freddie Galvis has been able to give you a little bit of hard contact as well, and then you take a look at the Metropolitans. They are starting to get some of their pieces back. Pete Alonso hitting about a 250 for the team. He got his eighth home run of the campaign yesterday. Dom Smith is hitting in the pocket of about a 260. Kevin Pillar has been able to give you something. He, Tomasito, Jonathan VR, all in that neighborhood of between a 240 and a 250. Francisco Lindor now hitting above the Bindo's line of 200 along James McCann. So, maybe they will give you a little bit of something. And for the Mets, they certainly did have to burn through their bullpen yesterday. Drew Smith, Jacob Barnes, these guys wind up having to get used up. But you still have quite a few guys like a Miguel Castro. I hate to say it, but Jersich Familia has actually been very good so far this year and for the Baltimore Orioles. They were able to preserve quite a few of their bullpen pieces, but you still don't have a lot of faith in guys like Cesar Valdez. You're probably going to need to look to Adam Pluko because I do think that Matt Harvey is going to get knocked out very early in this game. So you look to the long reliever, set this all at 8.3. I do think that Taiwan Walker is going to be able to do a solid job here, so I'm going to be taking the under. And like I said, set the Mets as more around a minus 175-ish favorite. If you're taking a look at them on the run line, you're finding that in the neighborhood of even money. I was willing to lay up to a minus 110, so I'm going to take the Mets on the run line to go along with this total. Under 927, 928 on the betting board. You've got the Washington Nationals hitting the road face off against the Tampa Bay Rays. Shane McClanahan is going to be going for the Rays. Patrick Colbin is going to be on the pump for the Washington Nationals. Your tolerance game is anywhere between 7.5 and 8. On the 7.5, over is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. Under is anywhere between even and minus 105. On the 8, under is minus 120, over is even. If you're looking at the Rays, you're going to be finding them anywhere between minus 159 and minus 145. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Nets, anywhere between plus 130 and plus 136. And this is a spot in which I am going to be taking a look at probably a run line here with the Tampa Bay Rays. We were talking about this with our good buddy yesterday, Andrew Cayley. Teams that do a good job of being able to cover a run line. And I do think that this is a good spot for the Rays with them. Right in between a plus 130 and a plus 135. I needed at least a plus 120 to be able to take it here. Because with Patrick Corbin, he's a guy that he's just given up so many runs. He did wind up having a couple nice home starts but this is someone that has just lost it like a taco in a refrigerator. And if you're wondering, what is a taco doing in a refrigerator? That is my point exactly. 3-5 and five record, 628 ERA. He's given up more than two home runs per nine innings. He's given up right around three and a half walks per nine innings. And he's been terrible on the road so far this year. You take a look at Patrick Corbin on the road. 7.30 road ERA. In 24 and two-thirds innings, he's given up seven home runs, 10 walks, and opponents are earning a 3.16 off of him. Now, he's actually not backed up by the world's worst bullpen Brad hand. Kyle Finnegan, these guys have been solid. I do like what you're able to get out of someone like an Austin Both as well. You wind up using up Wander. I swear this guy sucks yesterday, and Wander, I swear this guy sucks finally saw some progression, so that makes me a little bit happy. And then you take a look at the Washington Nationals. On the road, they've actually got one of the better batting averages out there in the league. You've got a guy in Ryan Zimmerman hitting a 290. Juan Soto right around a 400-ish on base, but you just need a little bit more power out of some of these guys. Juan Soto, seven home runs so far this year. Jan Gomes, Josh Harrison hitting between a 260 and a 270 is pretty solid, but for Gomes, you expect a little bit more than five home runs and like 130 or so at-bats out of him. Starlin Castro, 
been able to get on base for you as well, but they just can't seem to drive them in. Meanwhile, for the Tampa Bay Rays, I recognize that this is a team that they strike out a lot, but Patrick Corbin's strikeout numbers are way down, and you got a bunch of guys hanging between, I would say, about a 242 and a 255. Randy Orozarena, Manuel Margot, Yandy Diaz, Austin Meadows, and then you've got your new shortstop in Taylor Walls, all hitting in that pocket end for Yandy Diaz, a 390 on base. And how about Austin Meadows? Someone that winds up entering into yesterday with 14 home runs he had hit. I believe it was like six home runs in nine games. He has been absolutely on fire. Mike Zanino, only right around a 200 for the team along with Kevin Kiermaier, but for Zanino, he's maybe good the team 12 home runs as well. And we know that McClanahan going to be backed up by that tremendous bullpen. you got guys like Pete Fairbanks, J.P. Fireeyes, and Diego Castillo. Andrew Kittrich has been very solid for this team. And then when you take a look at McClanahan, he's like second in the league when it comes to pitches that have been thrown at 100 plus miles per hour. Obviously, your number one gentleman is Jacob DeGrom, but a little bit over 11 bunch outs per nine innings. And he himself has been a little bit more comfortable when he's been at the top rather than on the road. 377 OMRA, 441 ERA on the road. And he's given up just one walk in 14 and a third innings at home. This is a spot in which I'm going to be taking a look at that run line of the Tampa Bay Rays. I think that it's an intriguing spot here with the total because I set it at 8.6, so I'm going to be taking it over as well. And we're going to things up with 929, 930 on the betting board. The St. Louis Cardinals are going to be playing with the Cleveland Indians. Jean Carlos Mejia is going to be going for the Indians. Adam Wainwright is going to be going for the St. Louis Cardinals. Cardinals anywhere between minus 112 and minus 130 favorites. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Cleveland Indians, you're going to be finding them anywhere between plus 102 and plus 111. Your total on this game is 8. Over and under anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115. Why is Adam Wainwright such a short favorite to John Carlos Mejia? This is just absolutely insane. With Adam Wainwright, I mean, I could see this number if he was on the road, but with Adam Wainwright, he has been tremendous at home and he's been tremendously terrible on the road. 263 home ERA in seven starts. He's given up five home runs in 48 innings. Opponents are going to get 2 off of him. On the road, 313 road ERA. Opponents are jacking it up on him. Six home runs given up in 18 and two-thirds innings and an 820 road ERA. So that's something that you need to take a look at with Mr. John Carlos Mejia. You want to make him one start against the Baltimore Orioles. One three innings scoreless, but I mean, still not a guy that necessarily has a lot of starting experience. A good 24-year-old who I think has a little bit of an upside, and he is going to be backed up by a very solid bullpen. I like what you're able to get out of James Karinchek. I do like Brian Shaw as well. These guys have been able to step up because Nick Wakerin has not necessarily been himself so far this year, but when you take a look at the lineup of the Cleveland Indians as well, it has been pretty brutal. Amit Rosario, Josh Naylor, both of these guys are hitting right around a 250. Jose Ramirez is hitting right in the neighborhood of a 270. He's been able to give you a double-digit amount of home runs. Gets his 14th yesterday. Eddie Rosario has been able to pick it up a little bit. Aero Ramirez, whenever he's out there, he's been able to give you a little bit of something, but still, the lineup not necessarily where you want it to be. Meanwhile, for the St. Louis Cardinals, got a lot of guys doing a great job of getting on base for the team. Dylan Carlson, 355 on base, doesn't necessarily provide the power that you'd expect, but that's where you've got Nolan Arenado along Tyler O'Neill. A pair of guys that have given you at least 11 home runs. Both of these guys hitting in the pocket of about a 280 to a 285. You've got Umando Sosa hitting right around a 280 for this bunch. Now, Yadier Molina has been out the last couple days. That certainly hurts this team. And Matt Carpenter, can we stop giving this guy starts? He's absolutely terrible. He's washed up. But Tommy Edmond at the top has been good. Now, he recognized the St. Louis Cardinals bullpen. It's not necessarily been too terrific so far this year, but in a save opportunity, 
Alex Reyes has been very good for the team. Andrew Miller wound up getting used up yesterday along with the Woodford of Jake Woodford, but Junior Fernandez has been able to come in, give you some good innings. Genesis Cabrera, someone who has been very good out of the bullpen. I do like Giovanni Gallegos as well, so I do think that this is a spot in which I don't know why the Cardinals are such a short favorite. It's just really mind-blowing to me. And if you're taking a look at the run line, you're able to get the Cardinals anywhere between a plus 160 and a plus 165. That really does appeal to me. I'm going to wind up laying the run in half. We're going to go for that plus price. Set this all at 8.2 as well, so we're going to be going over along with the Cardinals run line, and that wrap things up for the Baseball Betting Podcast on this wonderful Wednesday. A big thanks to our good buddy Matt Pauley, doing pre and post game work for the Milwaukee Brewers for their flagship station, 620 WTMJ in the great state of Wisconsin. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, be able to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, Internet. You've got one of two ways to be out firing questions if you have them for this podcast. First one is my Twitter timeline at GUNNRSCORD1. Keep in mind the letters EM. They mean does not matter. Otherwise, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to send your questions, comments, segment ideas, what have you. I'll be coming at you guys every single day throughout the baseball season, which means I'm coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.